0: You'll turn back with me, please, <clears throat> to that portion of scripture. I'm going to particularly look at verses 4 to 7 of uh, Philippians chapter 4, and at verse 4. And I'll read these verses again. Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If I had to give a title to this sermon, it would be quite simply, Do Not Be Anxious. Prayer brings peace. Somebody once said, why worry when you can trust? It's like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere. Somebody else said, worry is wasting today's time to clutter up tomorrow's opportunities with yesterday's troubles. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I am a worrier one of my gifts in life is I worry and we had the blessing last Sunday of uh, I was speaking to the youth fellowship up at the mans and this is the text we looked at and we spoke about anxiety and, and and we sometimes we forget that young people get anxious too sometimes we think it's just us grown-ups who get anxious about all these things but no our young people do get anxious as well and the, the, the scriptures have plenty to say about the Lord's people and about how the Lord does not want his people to be anxious or worrying in any way. But it's easier said than done, I know. So quite simply, firstly, the Lord does not want you to be anxious. Verse, verse 6, he says, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So what is anxiety from a biblical perspective? Well, anxiety came into the world when Adam and Eve fell in the garden. They would have experienced anxiety when they hid themselves from God after they had sinned and realised that they were naked. At that moment in time there was a sudden change in God's creation An anxiety came into the creation and into Adam and into Eve. That vague sense that something is wrong, that vague sense that you, you, you don't know what to worry about but you think of things and... And one can picture them there and they're naively attempting to hide away from God because they had sinned and they were anxious about it and they're sewing these fig leaves together and they're hiding. This is the first time in history that there is that sense of vulnerability, that sense of apprehension that was to be felt by the whole of humanity because they fell in the garden, and they had disobeyed God. Now we must also remember that this is a state of emotional experience that is contrary to what the Lord wants for his people. Listen to the prophet Isaiah, in chapter 48 and 18, he says, Oh, that you had paid, if you had paid attention to my commandments, then your peace would have been like a river, he says, and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. The book of Proverbs tells us anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. You will remember many biblical characters struggling with anxiety and even depression in the Old Testament and in the New. Paul himself speaks to the the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and there he says, I came with fear and trembling. I came preaching the word and I was weak and I was trembling and I was fearful. This is the same Paul who was writing to the Philippians telling them not to be anxious. So Paul knows exactly what it is to feel that anxiety, that apprehension, that fear and that worry. He knows what he's talking about. And if you go back to the Old Testament, you will remember many of the Lord's people suffering with anxiety. You remember Hannah, and she actually uh, expressed her experience of anxiety, which was visible. Which was visible, and Eli, the priest, actually thought that she was drunk. She was that anxious, she must have been shaking. And of course it was Hannah's dispute with Penaniah which caused all of her anxiety. You'll see that in First Samuel. The Bible is full of stories of the Lord's people who were, who were anxious at one time or another on their pilgrimage with the Lord. They were walking with the Lord and yet they had troubled times. And you can think of many more. Moses going up the mountain. So that's the biblical perspective on what anxiety is, very, very briefly. What about the scientific perspective? Well, the scientist tells us that anxiety is a sense of fear and apprehension that puts you on alert. Biologically, it is meant to put us into that heightened sense of awareness so that we are are ready for potential threats that might come our way. However, when we feel excessive anxiety, and when we live in that constant state of anxiety, we're in trouble. There's nothing wrong with a little bit of anxiety. You think of a soldier at war. Is it no better for him to be a little bit anxious? You think of a policeman, a fireman, people who work in the hospital who have to be ready at a moment's notice to do whatever is needed. They need to be aware, they need to be not anxious, but aware. You know, when we are in that constant anxious state, where it is not good for us mentally, physically, or spiritually, our bodies never turn out of that flight or fight. You know, that flight or fight, will I run, or will I fight when we're in that state all the time? That, that, that tense sensation in your stomach, that heightened sense of awareness, that slight fear of sense of dread, that's anxiety, and we've all been there. Have we not all been there at one time or another in our lives and in our experience? You know, the Paul did not want this congregation in Philippi to be anxious. And he saw that they were anxious over many different things that were going on in the church and out with the church. The apostle has already touched on issues they may have been anxious about. There were a few in the church that were worried about do I really belong to Jesus? Assurance of salvation. There were a number in this church who were unsure or were starting to doubt whether they were one of the Lord's people. And he says to them in chapter 1 and verse 6 of the book of Philippians, at the very beginning of of, of this book, he says, he gets to it, he says, listen, I am sure of this. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He says, I have seen your good works. I have seen you worshipping the Lord. I know you and I know that you belong to Jesus. Do not let the devil come in and rob you of that assurance. You love being with the Lord's people. You love the Lord Jesus. You love worshipping So why are you doubting now? Why are you doubting now? And through time and through the generations, there are many Christians who come across periods in their lives and they think to themselves, do you know something? I might not be a Christian. Have you ever been there? Well, there were people in this Philippian church who were there and Paul was saying, listen guys, You belong to Jesus. You belong to Jesus, and Jesus has promised that when you put your faith and your trust in him, he will never let you go. No matter where you are, no matter how anxious you get, no matter what happens in your life, if you have put your faith and trust in me and you belong to me, I will never let you go. That is one of the reasons why Jesus gave us the Lord's table. A physical reminder to remind us of where we belong. Where do we belong? We belong with the Lord's people, worshipping the Lord, sitting at his table. And that is one of the ways that the Lord gives his people that hope and reminds them of what is yet to come for them. I will not let you go. He who began a good work in your life, Jesus has begun a good work in your life. He will see it through to completion. They were anxious about that. What else were they anxious about? Well, there were false teachers coming into the church. You see that in chapter 3, verse 2. They were anxious about these two ladies, He and Yodia, they were falling out, fancy lad, people falling out in church, well I never, well they were in the Philippian church, they were falling out as well, and he had to come in and say, listen, get these wonderful ladies and bring them together, because they belong to the Lord, they're sisters, do not be anxious about that. They were also anxious that they were not living lives that were worthy of the gospel. One of the themes of Philippians is the citizens of heaven. You are a citizen of Rome or you are a citizen of wherever you are. But you are more importantly, you are a citizen of heaven. First and foremost, the Lord's people, their citizenship belongs in heaven. Secondly, we belong down here. He says, do not be anxious about that. He says... We know that the Philippians are anxious about Paul and Epaphroditus, their circumstances. Paul is in prison, Epaphroditus almost lost his life, uh, taking a gift to the Philippians. And Paul is simply saying to them, listen, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. The Lord Jesus was also aware of anxiety among his followers when he walked on the earth. In the Sermon on the Mount, he tells them, what does he say? Do not be anxious about your life? Do not be anxious about your life? What you will eat, what you will drink, not about your body, what you will put on this life, not more than food, and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds, he says, of there. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into birds, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Do you remember the second part? Seek first. The kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. What does he mean there? Well, be amongst the Lord's people. Be praying. Be be molded and engrafted with the Lord's people and in his church and reading his word and praying. And that is your identity. Seek that first. And everything else will be added unto you. You will have trouble. You will have shortages in your life. He's not saying you won't have trouble. But he is saying, put Jesus, put me first. Put being amongst the Lord's people first. Put being at the table where you belong first. Put all of these things first. And everything else will be added unto you. And then we'll deal with that afterwards, he's saying. We'll deal with these things afterwards. Somebody once said, worry pulls tomorrow's clouds over today's sunshine. And it does. Worry pulls tomorrow's clouds over today's sunshine. You know, an anxious mind will tell you many things that are not real. An anxious mind will blow minor worries into mountains. That is not the mindset you are to have as a child of God, Paul is saying. The Lord does not want you to be anxious. Secondly, rejoicing and gentleness are not fruits of anxiety. Look at verses 4 to 5. This is a command. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. You see, rejoicing and joy are one of the themes, the main theme of the book of Philippians, the Reverend Hugh preached on this during lockdown at the prayer meeting, and he, he commands them to rejoice in any circumstance. He said he says it twice to get his point across. After all, he and Silas showed them how this was done, even while they were languishing in a Philippian jail a number of years before. You'll see that in Acts 16 and 25. He tells us they were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were with them. This is the third time in the letter Paul tells them to rejoice. Rejoice, you belong to Jesus. Rejoice, your names are written in heaven. Rejoice, the Lord Jesus has given his life for you. Rejoice, do not be anxious. He has died, he has risen again, he has ascended and he is seated at the right hand of God. And he is watching over you and he loves you with a love that is everlasting. Rejoice. He's reminding them of all the blessings of the gospel. He's reminding them of this Jesus who took the form of a servant and humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, chapter 2, verse 8. And he's done it all for them. He has already told them that their names are as fellow workers. That's how he describes the Philippians. You are fellow workers in the gospel. You all have a part to play. And I've seen your work and you do good. So you do belong to Jesus. Rejoice. Your names are in the book of life. You'll see it there, chapter 4, verse 3. Do you remember what Jesus said to his disciples after they returned from their missionary endeavors in Luke 10.20, do you remember that? They went out and they were in all the wonderful miracles and the disciples came back rejoicing that they were seeing all these wonderful things and the Lord had given them the power and the Lord Jesus says, ha ha, ha uh uh He says, no, don't rejoice at that. That's remarkable, yes. That's remarkable. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Your citizenship is in heaven. The name of every Christian who has ever walked this earth, or who will walk this earth, their names are written up there. People we've known and loved who have gone there before us, their names were there before they went there. Our names are there. Rejoice at that. Paul also says, and this is a command as well, he says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. They, as children of God and citizens of heaven, are to have a quiet and a gentle disposition to life. They are to have a quiet, gentle disposition to life. They're not to be quarrelsome. They're not to be argumentative. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when I get anxious... And I worry about things. I argue. I I would argue with my shadow. Ask my kids. Ask my wife. (laughs) He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. They, as God's people, are to be known for a balanced, intelligent and decent outlook on life. As Christians, we're to be balanced. And when we're anxious, we're not balanced. We're up, we're down, we're up, we're down. And Paul says, no, be balanced. Have a decent, intelligent, quiet outlook on life. And he approaches the Corinthians, he says, when he approaches the Corinthians, he says, I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. 2 Corinthians 1. Jesus himself says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. Does that mean that we cannot have a fire in our belly for the gospel? Absolutely not. Did Paul have a fire in his belly for the gospel? Absolutely he did. Did the Lord Jesus have a fire in his belly for the gospel? You bet he did. But yet, I am gentle and lowly in heart. You know, both the Lord and Paul possessed a resilience and a single-mindedness, but yet they were balanced and level. Yet they had that resilience and that single-mindedness to be obedient to God. That was the aim in life, to be obedient to God. And they had a fire in their belly for the gospel. Yet, yet, lowly in spirit. Paul has already commanded them. What does he say? He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. You'll see that in chapter 2, verses 5 to 6. The Philippians are to show the world the fruit of the Spirit in their lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Galatians 5.22 When we're anxious and when we're worried about this thing and that thing and the next thing, it's difficult to show the world the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. That is what Paul is saying. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. It's difficult, it is difficult, when we're worried and when we're anxious. Thirdly, what does he say to them? You know, we're accustomed to thinking of strength as opposite to gentleness, softness and tenderness. Yet that not is always true, I actually found this out, that during World War I, British fighter pilots were trying to think up ways of protecting their head while they were flying and dodging all the bullets. And they actually found that silk was the most protective thing for their heads. What they would do, they would get layers of silk and they would wrap it round their heads and then they would put a riding cap that horse riders wear over their head. And that was actually more protective for their head than steel was. Soft, nice silk. Yet scientists are still unsure about what exactly gives silk its strength. But it's true that in certain situations, soft, gentle, tender silk can prove far stronger than cold, hard steel. And Jesus showed us that the same is also true for human character. Some people try to make themselves impenetrable to people around them. Jesus showed us that gentleness, a heart that's soft toward others, and tenderness are in fact qualities of great strength. A tender heart is a heart that knows and understands grace a tender heart knows and understands and experiences grace You know, anxiety quenches the fruit of the spirit in us and it robs us of our reasonableness and gentleness. The psalmist asked his own soul, you will remember in Psalm 42 these words well, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. The psalmist would have to remind himself of the gospel, Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great Christian writer and preacher, was all too aware of this tendency of people being anxious. He was a doctor and people came to him with anxiety. Christian people came to him with anxiety all the time. And he actually decided to write a book on the subject. And it's still a bestseller even today. And he says this. Have you realised that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that, that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake in the morning. You have not originated them, but they are talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you, he asks. Yourself is talking to you. Now... This man's treatment in Psalm forty two was this instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. And he says that he's talking about the Psalmist in Psalm forty two, and his psalmist says, Why are you cast down? I have no reason to be cast down. I am a Christian. I belong to God, I belong to Jesus. His soul has been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and he says, Self, you will listen for a moment. I will speak to you. And that's what the psalmist does. He reminds himself of the gospel. He reminds himself of the gospel. Anxiety is not a fruit of the spirit. Another reason to be rejoiced And be gentle and filled with the Spirit, Paul tells us here. Another reminder is that the Lord is at hand. Remember, the Lord is near. You'll see that in the second half of verse 5 there. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. What does he mean when he says the Lord is at hand? Well, we have two options. We can think about the Lord's return. Paul has spoken of the return of Christ a couple of times already. He talks about the day of Christ in in chapter 1, verse 6. and He refers to the completion of their salvation at the day of Jesus Christ, chapter 2, verse 10, where every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Christ is Lord. Also Paul would delight and be proud and acknowledge that his work in the Philippian church would not be in vain as long as they hold fast to the word of life and they persevere. He's reminding them that the Lord is going to return for them. They are to rejoice at that and they are to take comfort at that, but the Lord is coming back for them. And his return is both a great comfort and it is also a powerful incentive ...to godly living and also for evangelism. None of us knows when the Lord Jesus is going to return. So it is both a challenge to the church... ...and a comfort to the church. People often say, "Well, if the Lord returns... ...what's he going to find you doing? We often wonder about that sometimes, you know. What are we going to be doing if the Lord returned on Wednesday, say? You know, we don't know when he's going to return. It's a great comfort, but it is also a challenge... He tells them, remember, the Lord is near, the Lord is at hand. The second interpretation is that the Lord's presence is always with his people. The psalmist confirms this in Psalm 145. The Lord is near to all who call on him, and to all who call on him in truth. Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. The Lord is always near to the brokenhearted. That is a great comfort. And he also saves the crushed in spirit. Those who have been cast aside in this world. Those who are looked down in this world. That's the one the Lord's close to. All the way through time. We see the lowest being brought and raised high. The Lord comes into the lives of those who are crushed. Those who have nowhere else to go. And that is our experience as Christians. How many of your testimonies would you turn around and say. You know this. The Lord came to me when I had nowhere else to go. And that is still true today. And we pray that more and more people out there. Whom we love and pray for every day. Would reach the bottom. And know that for nowhere else to go. And then the Lord will come and he will bind up the broken hearted. But apathy, laziness, worldliness, it robs us. It robs us of the gospel. He saves the broken The Lord is near. Even tonight he is with us here. Preparing us as we go and sit at the table. Where he will speak to us with With the visible bread and the reminder of all that Jesus has done. If only more would see it and we keep praying. That people in our families who are yet lost. Would see. But they must reach that point. And it is only the Lord that can bring them to that point. Where they look around in this world go, there's nothing in this world for me. Jesus, you'll have to help me. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. You and I are the brokenhearted. You and I are the crushed in spirit. But when the Lord comes into our hearts, He gives us a confidence, not in ourselves, but a confidence in Him. I couldn't imagine living one day in this world without Jesus. I would break. I couldn't imagine it. I couldn't imagine it. The Lord is near. That's what keeps me going every day. It's what keeps you going every day. The Lord is with us. He is near. Do not be anxious. I am with you now and forever. Two interpretations. I think Paul means both. The Lord is near. He's coming soon. But he's also with you now and forevermore. Even before he returns. That's what he means. The Lord is near. If you were asked, what's the big idea of the Christian life? What's the Christian life all about? Well, R.C. Sproul, I don't know whether you likes R.C. Sproul. R.C. Sproul answers this. He says, the big idea of the Christian life is Coram Deo. If anyone asks you, what's Christianity all about? Say this to them: it's Coram Deo. Remember that's it's not now. Coram Deo is actually Latin. It's a wee Latin phrase, Coram Deo. And Coram Deo captures the essence of the Christian life. The Latin phrase literally refers to something that takes place in the presence of God or before the face of God. To live Coram Deo is to live one's entire life in the presence of God, under the authority of God, to the glory of God. Isn't that beautiful? That is why we are here, Coram deal, To live Coram Deo is to live one's entire life in the presence of God, under the authority of God, to the glory of God. Man's chief end is what? To glorify God. Man's chief end is what? Dale, To live before the face of God. And that is what we do every day. Every day. When you're waiting in the surgery. And you're waiting for these test results. You do so. Dale, In the presence of God. Before the face of God. When the phone goes at 3 o'clock in the morning and you know when the phone goes at 3 o'clock in the morning it's not a good phone call. And you're apprehensive going to that phone. You do so, Coram Deo. In the presence of God, before the face of God and even to the glory of God. Every moment of every day the Lord is with you and Paul is reminding them of that. So, Coram Deo. To the glory of God, the Lord wants you to experience his peace. Look at verse 7 and very briefly. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And I'm running out of time. Paul lets the Philippians to know that this peace which surpasses all understanding is guarding their hearts and minds. This is the peace the apostle wants them to experience in their lives. Rather than constant anxiety. The peace that God possesses is available to all his children. See the peace that God enjoys. It's yours. The peace that God enjoys every day for eternity. It is yours. It is mine. The Lord wants you to experience his peace. The serenity in which God lives is what Paul is referring to. God himself is not beset with anxieties. And he does not want his people to be beset with anxieties either. We have peace with God. Listen to Paul in Romans 5, 1-2. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. That's the ultimate We have peace with God. The Lord wants you to experience his peace. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Isaiah the prophet saw the peace of Christ that would purchase for his people when he says, You keep him in perfect peace, he says. The prophet long before Christ came, you keep him in perfect peace Whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. I'm going to say that verse again. What did I say? I say he says, "You keep him, Lord. You keep him, my heart, in perfect peace." Whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. Isaiah 26.3, Jesus Himself said, "What did He say? Peace I leave with you." Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you, I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. All the way through the scriptures, the Lord is speaking to you and saying, Do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. Paul's benediction to the Thessalonians. May the Lord of peace himself give you the peace at all times in every way. And Paul describes that peace. It surpasses all understanding. The world cannot understand it. Only the Lord's people who experience it can understand it. It is beyond all human comprehension. The world cannot understand this peace. Only those who have put their faith and trust in Christ can experience it. And you know the beauty of it. It's there for anyone and everyone. Anyone and everyone. It is available for them. It's free. It is free. But what else does Paul tell us That the peace? It guards our hearts and our minds. And lastly and finally, God's avenue for you to experience his peace is prayer with thanksgiving. That is the key. Time spent with God. That is the key. Whether corporately or individually or as families, that is the key. Prayer is the key. No prayer, no peace. Paul shows the Philippians very clearly for for them to grow and mature and not be anxious they ought to pray and pray with thankful hearts. Luke often tells us that the Lord Jesus himself and I'm going to close in a minute the Lord Jesus himself would have to go away to desolate places and get away from the hustle and the bustle and even his friends, the disciples to pray to gather strength, to be with his Father. And if the Lord Jesus needed to do that, how much more do we need to do that? Either on our own, as families doing the books, or as a church. God's avenue for you and I to experience his peace is prayer with thanksgiving. I've told you the story before, but I'm going to tell you again. My kids always say, this, "See, the next time you preach that, don't tell that story." <laughs> they know all those stories. God's avenue for you to experience His peace is prayer with thanksgiving. And forgive me if you've heard it before, but I love this story. This sums up the gospel about the man who hated flying. This man hated flying, and he was having to fly from one city in the United States to another city in the United States. And he jumped on, and you know what? There was a storm. And he was up in the plane, and the plane was bouncing around, and everything was falling out, and he was sweating, and he he was terrified. Terrified. The turbulence was terrible, he was terrified. And he looked over, and he saw a little girl. And the little girl was reading a comic. And she wasn't phased. she wasn't worried, sitting there a perfect peace, reading the comic. So they managed to land, the pilot managed to land the plane and he just had to ask the little girl, he just, he had to ask her, he went up there and he says, little girl, little girl, weren't you worried when we were 30,000 feet up there in the air? When weren't you worried? And the little girl looked at him and said, no, no, no. And the cockpit door was open and she pointed to the pilot and said, see yeah, that's my dad. And he's taking me home. And he's taking me home. Perfect peace. Perfect peace.